dear friends, how many stories do you know that dare to traverse the pits of hell while also ascending to the highest heavens? In the 1200s, an exiled Italian poet wrote a very profound love story, one that is known today as the Divine Comedy. This part fiction, part autobiographical tale of Dante Alighieri, who journeys through the many rings of hell, up the mountain of purgatory and into the highest spheres of heaven, is one of the most theologically and visually engaging works ever produced. In terms of its masterpieceness, T.S. Eliot famously wrote, The literary world is divided between Shakespeare and Dante, there is no third. Since Dante, countless stories and movies and art and video games and romances have been inspired by his imagery. So much so, dear listener, that I guarantee you have come across Dante's work, even if you think you haven't, especially in the way you visually think of heaven and hell. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. The title Divine Comedy can be a little confusing, for the piece isn't a comedy in the same way a sitcom or a stand-up comedian is. Rather, a comedy is a literary term for a story that ends with a happy ending, with the opposite of course being a tragedy. (laughs) Well, the Divine Comedy is probably the greatest comedy ever written, not only because Dante ends up face-to-face captivated by the beatific vision in heaven, but because he begins by plummeting the pits of hell. It is a story of incredible suffering, but also of divine hope. And the inspiration for Dante's ascent is actually the love of Beatrice, the one woman Dante dearly loved in his lifetime. More on that later. First, I will summarize the story of the Divine Comedy for you, beginning with a little biography of its author. Dante Alighieri was an Italian poet and writer born in Florence in 1265. He was born into a rich and influential Florentine family, receiving a solid classical education and exposure to the works of writers like Ovid and Virgil, which greatly inspired his mind. In his youth, he falls in love with Beatrice Portinari, but as was custom back then, she was pre-arranged to marry some other dude and tragically dies shortly after that. Her death would affect Dante forevermore. When he was in his mid-thirties, Dante was heavily caught up in some political activism against church corruption, and he was subsequently exiled, cast out from Florence forever. He spends decades wandering through the various cities outside of Italy, and during this time, he was exposed to all sorts of different cultures and intellectual influences, as well as immersing himself in the study of theology. Towards the end of his life, he writes his epic story, The Divine Comedy, writing himself in as the main character, navigating the afterlife, while distilling there all he had processed while in exile. Here now is his story in summary. The story opens with the famous lines, Midway on the journey of our life, I woke to find myself alone and lost in the dark wood, having wandered from the straight path. 
This depicts a kind of classic midlife crisis, but more importantly, a spiritual awakening. As Dante tries to scale up a sunlit mountain to escape the dark woods, with the sun being a symbol of God, three terrifying creatures block his way, symbolic of Dante's three greatest sins, pride, greed and lust. It is at this point that Beatrice, who is already in heaven, sends Virgil, the great Roman poet, to be Dante's mentor and guide. Effectively, Virgil says, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is, there is a way out of this dark woods, but the bad news is, you have to go through hell. <laughs> the only way up is down. And so, the two begin their slow ascent down. In the story, hell is shaped like an inverted cone, with the deepest circle of hell being at the very bottom. Each of the ring layers corresponds to a particular sin, with each sin becoming more and more severe the lower down you go. Up the top is lust, then going down from there is gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, and finally at the very bottom is treachery, reserved only for traitors. As Virgil leads Dante down, he sees all the torments that the damned experience, that are in direct proportion to the sin they chose to commit. For example, murderers are plunged into a river of boiling blood, gluttons are pelted with never-ending excrement, and the wrathful angrily tear each other to shreds. Virgil tells Dante that the point of this tour was not to gawk at tormented sinners, but to allow Dante a chance to recognize the same sins committed in his own life, and in doing so, come to a place of repentance while he still could. At the very, very bottom of hell, at the center, is a frozen lake, where Satan himself, this beautiful fallen angel, resides, crying bitter tears. His beating wings freezes everything and everyone around him, preventing them from any hope of forming community. Isolation, according to Dante, is the greatest torment of hell. Satan was so self-absorbed they didn't even notice Dante and Virgil, who then climb onto his back and begin to ascend to the next chapter of the Divine Comedy, the Mount of Purgatory. Purgatory is shaped like a regular mountain, which is seven stories high. Unlike in Hell, the people Dante and Virgil meet there are not being punished per se, but are willingly being purified and cleansed of their sinfulness. Despite the suffering they still endured, it is a comparatively optimistic place, because everyone they meet know that they will eventually have a place in heaven, but they must go through the necessary purification first. This truth is of course in line with mainstream Catholic theology, where purgatory is understood as part of heaven, the forecourt of heaven, and not some third destination between heaven or hell. Also, unlike hell, where the sun doesn't shine, the higher up Dante and Virgil go, the more sunlight there is, and the more the people there cooperate and help each other, which again is in direct contrast to hell. Like with hell though, the seven purifications are arranged according to their severity, at the bottom most is pride, then going up is envy, then wrath, then sloth, then greed, then gluttony, and then lust. The penances given in each story are consistent with what needed purification. For example, the prideful are made to carry heavy stones on their backs while reciting the Beatitudes, the gluttonous are made to do extreme fasts, and the lustful must walk through walls of fire while focusing on the radiant image of the Virgin Mary. 
Dante voluntarily joins some of the prideful, carrying a rock on his back for a little while because he remembers that this is one of his biggest sins, one of the beasts that first blocked his way at the beginning of the story. Once they reach the top of Mount Purgatory, Beatrice, his beloved, appears and replaces Virgil as Dante's guide, taking him with her to fly up and through the various spheres of heaven, known as Paradiso. Now free from the burden of his sins, he finds himself soaring high and faster quite freely, and he soon learns that this was the natural path of every soul when it wasn't weighed down by sin. Each sphere of heaven corresponds to a different virtue that was exemplified by the souls there. As he meets them, it is clear that they are in intimate relationship with one another, speaking highly of one another and trying to out-honour each other all the time. Heaven, unlike the depths of hell, is illuminated by the light of the divine sun, and as he ascends, he notices Beatrice's eyes growing lovelier and lovelier. Finally, after crossing the threshold of the ninth and final sphere, he comes to the Empyrium, the very dwelling place of God that is too much for mortal eyes. He perceives there though the celestial rose made up of angels and saints swirling around a divine light emanating from the centre. It is the very presence of God whom he is utterly overwhelmed by. Beatrice leaves his side and joins the celestial rose for her role as his guide was now complete. This is the beatific vision the culmination of his quest and the greatest fulfilment of his soul. In the great final words of the story, Dante perceives now from what source his will and desires were drawn, the very love that moves the sun and the other stars. As you'd probably agree, it's a pretty epic story, right? There's much we can unpack today, but at least for this episode, I will offer you just three initial reflections. First, we will focus on the various features of hell, and why Beatrice sends the poet Virgil to guide Dante through it. Second, we'll be meditating on the significance of human love in leading a soul to divine love, personified of course through the character of Beatrice. Thirdly, I will comment on why the Divine Comedy is one of the most hope-filled stories ever written and how it provides a blueprint for every spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Let's begin. Part 1. The Significance of Virgil Being Dante's Guide Through Hell while it would no doubt be somewhat fascinating to graphically depict the various sufferings that the damned inflict upon themselves, I will leave that to the video games and Hollywood screenwriters to fill the gaps. What I want to focus on is some of the significant theological truths that Dante has woven into his Inferno chapter. Firstly, why does Beatrice choose Virgil to guide Dante through hell, when she was told by Mother Mary and St. Lucy that he was lost in the dark wood? Virgil was the greatest of the Roman poets, author of the Aeneid, and serves as a symbol of human reason and human potential. In his lifetime, the real Dante was a big fan. Ultimately, what Beatrice recognises is that those in hell have abandoned and shunned human reason and their full potential. This is quite profound if you think about it. Rather than presenting hell as a place that God sends those he wants to be punished, hell instead is presented as a place where the damned have rejected the very faculty that makes them most human, their reason. After all, 
It is reason and the capacity for self-reflection that most separates us from animals and plants. Now deep inside we know this to be true, for if you and I meet a person today governed purely by their passions and baser instincts and emotions, we intuitively know that the person is not very mature and at the very worst is quite animalistic, hardly human at all. But an even graver warning applies to those who use their reason and twist it against the natural order, which in the Divine Comedy leads to the worst types of sin. Notice that the less serious levels of hell are all just sins of passion, such as lust and gluttony, while the lowest spheres of hell are all sins of the twisted intellect, such as heresy, fraud and betrayal. These are all sins that involve a distortion of reason in order to carry them out. Something like betrayal, for example, has to involve the calculation of the will. Okay, so what's the warning for us here today? We live in a society where human reason is often cast aside in favour of what any individual feels like doing or even being. There are countless moral issues today where reason and sheer common sense are not even given a voice and instead must cave in to what someone feels like doing. So Dante offers us in 2023 a Virgil to restore reason once again and guide us through our own layers of dysfunction, our own spheres of hell. Rather than his tour of hell being an exhibition of torment, it is an invitation and a warning for each of us to embrace the gift of reason and in doing so, live out our fullest human potential. Part 2. The Salvation of Dante Through Beatrice's Love You may not realise, but the love story between Dante and Beatrice was actually quite countercultural for its time, which often pitted human love in opposition to God's love. As in, medieval Italians saw that spiritual love was virtuous and holy, while earthly love was seen as inferior and even sinful. Such a position is of course not consistent with actual church teaching, for at the heart of our faith is the Incarnation, where divine love is revealed in and through human love, the bodily love of Jesus Christ. Catholics love the body. This premise lies at the heart of St. John Paul II's theology of the body, which might be understood as how our earthly bodies and marriage and sex and children reveals in the most profound ways the very mystery of God. Romantic love, once redeemed and restored to its rightful place, reveals and leads the soul to God. Amen. But who is this Beatrice for Dante, this woman sent to be his saviour and guide? We know that when he first met her as a nine-year-old, something came over him that inspired him forever. In his own words, so powerful did her greeting affect me that I seemed to experience then the heights of happiness. Happiness here is a rather poor translation. The better translation in the original Italian is beatitude, which denotes the highest possible happiness, one that only God could grant the soul in eternity. Hence when Beatrice dies at 24, the loss of her for Dante's spiritual life was mammoth and something that would forever haunt him, and during his later exile would inspire him to wrestle with the biggest questions about salvation, the afterlife and the purpose of love in the created world. 
Dante did try later in life having relationships with other women, but they all paled in comparison. And one night, he records how he receives a vision of Beatrice, instructing him to remain silent until he could speak of her more adequately. Well, enter the Divine Comedy, where he certainly speaks of her very adequately. As Rachel Jokoff puts it, there is no single allegorical equivalent that can serve as an adequate gloss for Beatrice. She is for Dante a symbol of Christ, but also of Mary and the Church. She is Dante's instructor, guide, and lure. Her beauty and the emotions it generates creates a powerful link between love and knowledge. End quote. This is why Dante writes Beatrice to be his guide, indirectly through hell and purgatory, then directly as he ascends through the spheres of heaven. And yet, Dante never makes the mistake of turning Beatrice into God, or to worship her for her own sake. His story makes it clear that, glorious as she was, she is in the end but a human helper sent to inspire his soul towards God. Within the story, Beatrice in heaven mentions to him many times that there is more paradise than in my eyes. One of my favourite moments in the Divine Comedy takes place right in the highest heavens at the thresholds of the Imperium, that ineffable realm basked in divine light. Having followed his beloved up to this point, she then turns to Dante saying that he cannot advance any further until he can see the light of the Trinity through her eyes. In other words, until he understood that his ultimate happiness lay with God and not with her, he could not advance. In this culminating moment, Dante finally understands, and Beatrice is free to leave his side and to take her eternal place in the great celestial rose. Then, Dante is free to sing praises to God for the gift of his beloved, hoping that one day he too will join her, Mary, and all the angels and saints there, held forever within the love of God. When all is said and done, you will agree that Dante's Divine Comedy is a very hopeful story and one that has applicability to every reader on some level. It isn't surprising that the real Dante produced his most inspiring work during his greatest exile and suffering, for this follows the very pattern of Christ, whose own exile and suffering, the cross, produces the greatest inspiration known to man. So, if you, dear friend, find yourself midway in life, hopelessly lost in a dark wood, have hope, for your salvation is near. Like Virgil, I too have good news and bad news for you. The good news being that there is a way out of your dark wood, and the bad news is you may have to go through hell first. To ascend, you must first descend, to examine afresh what has become disorderly or distorted in your life, in your family and in your own values. Repent if needed, so that the soul can begin its slow ascent towards God once again. Painful as it may be, it is not a spiritual crisis you're going through, but a spiritual awakening. But like Dante, don't go too far down without a guide. Do not face your demons alone. Allow the love of those who know you to carry you and to lead you to new life. Turn to spiritual masters like St. John of the Cross, St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Teresa of Avila, who know the way, who have also mapped the way out. The way which says, Death comes before resurrection, 
and Good Friday comes before Easter Sunday. Unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains but a single grain, and no new life can be born from it. So have hope, new horizons await. Let Dante's Divine Comedy be the blueprint for the rest of your life, and always remember that your soul was made for God. Set free from its bondages, be confident that it will soar towards God as Dante did, higher and higher, into the heavenly realms, until one day, you too will behold a sight too great for eyes to see, too splendid for ears to hear, the very love that moves the sun and all the stars.